So growing up, I think most of us, if not all of us, learned the song, Jesus Loves Me. If you didn't learn it, you've at least heard it, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a simple truth. It's a truth that every kid gets when they hear it. But don't let the fact that it's a simple truth keep you from the reality that it's true, that this is a truth, that Jesus loves you. And I think sometimes it can be hard for us to really believe that. It can be hard for us to really believe that Jesus does love us. And that's because not only does Jesus love us, but he knows us. And it's hard for us to believe that he knows us and he sees us in the worst parts of our life, in the worst parts of our thought life. And despite that, he still loves us. I think that's why we have to really keep preaching that truth to ourselves that, yeah, Jesus loves me and I know it. Jesus loves me and I know it because I read it in the scriptures. And so what better way to help us learn this truth that Jesus loves us than from the Apostle John, who called himself the disciple that Jesus loved? If you look at John's gospel, right, five times in John's gospel, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, that's kind of a weird way to refer to yourself, I think. You know, it's kind of almost a subtle flex, maybe. But I'm really not sure that he called himself the disciple Jesus loved out of pride. I don't think that was his motivation. Um, now, to be fair, I don't know that I can say the same thing for the way that he goes out of his way to mention that he beat Peter in a foot race to the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning. That may have been a little boastful. But here, I don't think that he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved because he was uh, prideful. I think it was just that John was truly convinced, yeah, Jesus loves me. And because of that, when John writes his first epistle, uh, a letter to the churches, it's obvious that he wants to pass that information, pass that truth on to other believers who were going to read his words. Not only does Jesus love John, but Jesus loves them. So if you got your Bible, I invite you to go with me this morning to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to read this truth, one of John's strongest teaching on God's love, in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. So if you got your Bibles, let's read it together. 1 John 4, 7. John says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father sent the Son as the world's Savior. Now whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So, in this section of teaching, John is, is pretty clear. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And because of that, there are some implications that we need to wrap our mind around. And I think the first thing here that we see in this section of John 
It is that not only it is love from God, but God himself defines this love. Just look in those first two verses, right, that we read, verses 7 and verse 8, John makes two incredible statements. Really, these two statements sum up the whole other idea of what he's going to talk about. They're really two foundational truths that uh, really undergird John's ideas and understanding of God's love. And these are those two statements. He says, love is from God in verse 7. And in verse 8, he says, God is love. Love is from God and God is love. Now, we're, we're going to miss it if we miss out on the implication of these statements. We need to make sure that we understand what John is saying and what John is not saying. What John is not saying is that love, see, love doesn't get to define who God is, right? God is love. Love is not God. Love is from God. God does not come out of love, right? Love doesn't define who God is. What John is saying is that it is God who defines for us what true love is. And that's why he goes on to say, if you love, you know God. If you don't love, you can't say that you know God. Now, that's not to say that love cannot exist outside of knowing God. That, that's not John's point. There are unbelievers who love others in their life. There are those who are far from God who love others in their life. But what it does mean, John's point here, is that love it is that love that is separated from a knowledge of God and a relationship with God, that love is going to ultimately fall short of its fullest potential. That love reaches its culmination and its climax in knowing God and being known by God. And so what we've got to understand here, because love is from God and God is love, from our limited human nature in our own flesh, we can never fully reach or even understand that type of love. One pastor said it this way, if we start where we are, we will never get to where this love is. And I think in a broader sense, that's why we see so much confusion in our culture uh, and in the world around what exactly love is. I've always thought it was hilarious that we can love Taco Bell, we can love our kids, we can love football, we can love our car, but the, what we mean by that is a bunch of different things. Like, really, what is love? And I think the truth is, so much of what we see as love and is presented to us as love in culture today, it's just not. It's not really love. Matter of fact, much of what we see today that's presented to us as love is just selfish and self-serving and self-gratifying and about what we get out of it. But see, the good news from John is that God hasn't defined love in some ethereal, abstract way but that he himself has defined love for us in a specific, concrete, and tangible way. And that is that God has defined love for us by sending his son Jesus as a sacrifice for us. That is how John tells us we know love, because God sent Jesus for us, right? Now, that idea, when we say sacrifice, it can conjure up some specific images in our minds. When we talk about sacrifice, we may have the image of a soldier giving his life on a battlefield, right? 
If we want to look at something that maybe is the way we understand the highest form of love one person can have for another might be a mother laying down her life for her children. And all of these acts, right, are amazing acts of sacrificial love. But what I would say is that even they fail to fully reach the depths of Jesus's sacrifice for us. That's because Jesus's sacrifice for us was ultimately to avert and absorb the judgment of God towards us, which we rightly deserve. You see, I don't think we can fully understand the love of God until we understand the holiness of God. You see, God is holy. That, that just means perfect. He is righteous. He is without blemish. And because of that, he cannot allow sin into his presence. A just God must punish sin. And we want a God that punishes sin. Who wants to live in a world where evildoers and, and those who have just done wicked, atrocious things in their life, they go unpunished. There's no justice for them. No, our hearts cry out for justice, and God is a God of justice. The problem is, not only is there sin in the world, there's sin in us. And so the holiness of God brings his justice to bear against us as sinners who have fallen short of God's perfect standard, we stand under the weight of God's wrath and his judgment. And that's why Jesus came to appease that wrath, to avert it, to absorb it. Jesus made an atonement for us that on the cross, we who were fully deserving of wrath were set aside. And Jesus, who deserved no judgment because he himself had lived a perfect life, took our place on our cross. And so now when we stand before God and come before his presence, it's not as sinners who are under his judgment, but we are justified before God. That means we are declared just. We are declared not guilty. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. And it's just as though we have never sinned. And now we grow in that righteousness called sanctification. We continue day by day to look more and more like Jesus as his spirit lives in us. And ultimately, one day when this life is over, this uh, corruptible body will take on incorruptibility. Paul would say, he says this mortality will put on immortality and we will see Jesus and be made like him, glorified forever, where that reality of our sinlessness is a thing. We are no longer sinners because our flesh has died and we have been made like Jesus. So because of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, we are justified before God. We are growing in sanctification, and one day we will be glorified with him. And so when we think of love and Jesus's love for us, we can't understand that outside of his sacrifice for us, because that is how God defines love. That is how God declares love. That is how God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to be a sacrifice for us. So love in its fullest and deepest sense can't be understood outside of the cross. And I think when we press into that even further, it's because Jesus did all of that 
for us first. Did you catch that, what John said when we read it together? That it wasn't that we loved God first, but that he loved us. Verse 10, love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Right? If we look at Paul's writing, Paul picks up this theme in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, when he says, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What we have got to understand is we were still sinners when Jesus did all of this. Jesus embodied his sacrificial love for us on the cross before we did anything. We did nothing to deserve it, nothing to inspire it, nothing to trigger it, nothing that would entitle us to it. Heck, we didn't even ask for it, and yet Jesus did it first. While we were still sinners, broken, hopeless, rebellious, undeserving and unworthy, Jesus died for us to demonstrate God's love. And that's what sets the love of God apart from and far beyond all other types of love. More than a soldier dying on the battlefield for his friends, or more than a mother giving her life for the sake of her dear children, what Jesus did, he did for enemies. He did for those who were hostile to him. He died on a cross for those who were nailing him to it. It is the unworthiness of the recipient that make this love so incredible. We can't get our heads around it. As a father, I think I would lay down my life for my wife, for my kids. I think I would even do it for my friends. Maybe at the best moment of my life, I'd do it for a stranger. But would I do it for an enemy? Would I do it for those who were fighting against me, those who had cursed me, those who had done me wrong? And yet that's what Jesus did. And here's John's biggest takeaway from from the passage that we read. This is the same type of love that Jesus expects of his followers. I mean, John literally says, in this way, what way? The way that Jesus loved us, in this way, we must also love one another. We don't love others because they are worthy of that type of love. But we love them because Jesus loved us that way. We love them first because he loved us first. And that is a massive challenge. Like any pastor, any Christian who talks about that as though it's a simple, easy, and natural thing, I just don't think they get it. This isn't natural. This is supernatural. And this is only possible because Jesus has given us his love and his spirit. You know, it's easy for us to talk about love. It's just a lot harder to show that same type of love. And that's why I said, I think I would do this. It's easy to talk about what we would do. The question is, what are you doing? Jesus didn't simply preach the love of God. He proved it by laying down his life on the cross. And he expects those who call themselves Christians, those who have believed on him, he expects his followers to do the same thing. 
What a massive challenge for the church today. And I think if we're being honest, that's just not what the church is known for anymore. The church isn't known for the most loving actions in the world. Matter of fact, when the world looks at the church, the world often thinks that the church is one of the most hateful places. But I think it's important here to, to say that when we talk about that we as a church, as the followers of Jesus, should embody this type of love, again, keep in mind that we don't get to define what love is. Jesus defined what love is. And it was the love of Jesus that reconciled us to the Father. You see, Jesus' love did not abandon truth, and the love of the church today doesn't have to abandon truth either. And yet I think so often the church uses the truth and the message of a gospel, of the gospel as an excuse to be mean and act like jerks. Now, I think that there's a, a tough challenge for us today, but I do believe that when we love and live like Jesus— that we can turn the world upside down. Here's one of my favorite quotes from author Warren Wearsby. He says, The world will not believe that God loves sinners until they see love and until they see his love at work in his children's lives. The world won't know that God loves them unless they see that love in us first. Listen, the world can't see Jesus, but they can see us and the way we live and the way we love reveals Jesus to a world that desperately needs to know him and they won't know him without us so I want to ask you what are you doing in your life to live out the love of Jesus to those who don't deserve it to those who aren't entitled to it to those who you will have to love first. See, I believe that when we as the church take the first step in this and begin to love and live like Jesus, loving others first without any hooks, without an expectation of getting anything back, we love them because Jesus loved us, that the church still has the power to turn the world upside down. And so that's my prayer. For you, for me, for the orchard, for the church in North America, for the church around the world, is that we would be known because of the love of Jesus in our midst. And that we would be motivated by the love of Jesus in our hearts. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this day and for this time together. And I pray that you would... Help us to remember how you loved us first. And as we do, that it would motivate us to love others first. That your spirit would work through us to show a lost and dying world the love of Jesus. And we know that that's not a love that we get to define and decide whether something's loving or not, but that you have once and all defined love through the cross. So God, I pray that you would make your church today, that you would make me, that you would make all those who are listening, people who would live and love like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.